Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers and Hall of Famer Larry Clisby. And Clis, welcome back. You get to join us in studio. Yeah, and I'm back in Indiana and will be for, hopefully, I mean, as, as, as things go, going to be here all uh, the entire basketball season. So uh, Michelle and I are here and we're back and uh, we got some people taking care of the place in Florida and it's great, man. I, I have to admit, it was great coming on. Well, it's good to good to have you back here, and uh, we are in episode fifty here of the podcast. And I'd like to welcome in um, Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network. Uh, Dave, welcome aboard, and uh, thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Uh, thrilled to be doing it, Elliot, and and particularly as happy as I am to talk to you, which is always a pleasure. Uh, just just thrilled beyond words to have Quiz back to be talking to him and to know he's going to be a part of Big Ten Hoops this year. He is an institution and and we've all been pulling for him so hard. So just thrilled beyond words to be talking to you, Chris. Thank you, Dave. Thanks a lot. So Dave, I got to admit, I was doing some stuff this morning, kind of getting ready for this. And I thought, man, I go, there is a lot to talk about with you. Um, And I started kind of wondering if I'm going to be able to fit all this in. But uh, with a lot of our guests, we kind of talk about their background in the sports, and, and uh, you grew up in Chicago, um, and talk about uh, kind of your early days. When did you kind of get the sports bug? Oh, man, really early. Uh, my mom always tells this story that um, my dad used to, there would be one hockey game on a week, and my dad was a big hockey fan. We lived in Madison at the time. He was a visiting professor at the University of Wisconsin. My dad was an an academic at several Big Ten schools, uh, most notably at Northwestern, but uh, started his career at Illinois, went to Northwestern, visited at Wisconsin for a year, and and then finished his career at Northwestern before passing away in, in 2007. Huge sports fan, loved hockey. We're living in Madison. There's one game on a week, my mom's going out. She says, I'm going to leave Dave at home. I was like five or six, and he's just like, oh, man, this is going to ruin my day. I just want to watch the hockey game. I don't want this kid around. And uh, she says by the time you know she got home, we were arguing over whether or not it was offside. So <laughs> That's very <laughs> so cool. So I kind of got into it early, loved sports from a very young age. I think I was pragmatic enough to know that uh, I wasn't going to make a living playing sports. And so kind of the next best option was to, to figure out another way to be involved, although I did some other stuff uh, after college, and it took me a while to realize that, that this really was what I wanted to do, and I kind of took a circuitous route to it. But, but I've been crazy about sports probably since that day in the winter of 1976, <laughs> I guess. You know, uh, that, you know this, this was really something that, that I loved. I can relate to that very lo- very well because I um, I too was a sports addict from an early age and I, I I knew I wanted to be around it somehow and I knew like like as you alluded to I was I knew I wasn't going to be good enough so okay what's my other avenue to stay close to to sports and stuff you end up uh, end up going to college at Northwestern uh, was that an easy decision or did you have some other options? Well, it was an easy decision for my parents because my dad was on the faculty <laughs> and I got like 90% off the tuition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would say there actually wasn't really much of a decision involved. Uh, <laughs> and, but, and one of the top, uh, one of the top uh, uh, broadcasting schools in, in, in America, you know. So, yeah, I, I can imagine they could... What's weird about it, though, Chris, is, you know, I did not major in, in broadcasting or journalism. I majored in history and then was involved with the radio station. I, I did play-by-play for WNUR, the Northwestern Student Station, yeah. which in those days, I mean, you know, I went to Northwestern at a time when Northwestern was at the absolute bottom uh, I mean, it was just a disaster athletically. Yeah, uh, in yeah. fact, I, you know, I speak to a lot of student groups. I was just speaking to one at Penn State recently, and um, you know, when, when I, I do have the occasion to, to speak at Northwestern, I always say to their students, in my four years at Northwestern, they won six football games total and six conference basketball games total in wow. four years. Wow! I mean, oh, it you was guys, horrific. You... You guys are now, so, what, you guys what are it so, did, though, was 
the student station would have exclusivity for a lot of games. Like there was a there was a contract out there. I, I think at that time maybe WBBM did the games. Yeah. But they would preempt it for anything, like you know, a parade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Severe weather. <laughs> so so we we really got. I mean, we got to kind of act as professionals. We would be the exclusive voice of the team in a lot of games, and and so from that point of view, it was really good. So even though I didn't major in journalism or communications, I got really good experience while I was in college. Well, I did the same thing. I was at Kent State, and and Kent State had a really good uh, department there. But you know, it was just one or two guys. There was I don't, I'm sure you've heard this guy's name, John Staggerwald, who was in Pittsburgh for years. John was a John was a um, classmate of mine at Kent, and he and I just uh, basically took over the student station in the summertime because there was nobody there, and we were the only two right. people. So we we just kind of did everything we could do. You know, we, we we'd do the anything the broadcast we would broadcast, and then we ended up being on their you know their network uh, football feed. Now they were the worst football team in the country, I think. Not, not really. Right. Don James. Don James was the coach at the end of my tenure there, and he's pretty darn good. He's a Hall yeah, of Famer. Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Mike Lude was uh, our athletic director at Kent State, and he went out to Washington too with with Don. But um, it's amazing how you can you can tie into maybe one or two people, and not necessarily in your degree, and then boom, off you go. You know. Well, it's, it's funny to me. I mean, one of the things that kind of delayed me getting into it initially was I felt very strongly I wasn't even close to the best guy at our student station. I mean, you know, we had Josh Lewin, who's been a national play-by-play voice for Fox for years. Uh, Glenn Geffner, who's been the voice of the Miami Marlins for years. <laughs> Jay Adonde was at the student radio station. Mike Greenberg was at school at the same time I was there. Greeny didn't even do the student radio station. I'm not entirely sure what he was doing. But, uh, I mean, we, like, there were some unbelievably talented guys. Yeah. And I kind of felt like I was, yeah, I was solid. I was fine. But, but was I the best guy there? I didn't think so. You know, I, I, maybe I was my own worst critic. But, but that's what made it so interesting and, and competitive. And I, I felt like I was really competing with people to get those opportunities and to be, hey, you know, to, to get to do a football game or a basketball game or whatever it was. And I think it made me better, like from, from a, maybe it made me realistic about my chances, but I think that it also made me, you know, a little more competitive and, and to say, okay, look, I, I, am I going to measure up to, to Josh Lewin? I, I'm going to have to work really hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy the history classes you were taking? I loved them. I yeah. uh, absolutely loved it. And uh, as, as you guys probably know, you know, I ended up writing a book about right. yeah. early history of college football. And uh, I, I love history. I think it was an incredibly valuable degree for what I do. I, even just as a communicator, I think to organize thoughts, to put together kind of persuasive arguments, all of those things. In hindsight, yeah, maybe what I have benefited from from doing journalism or communication classes, I probably would have. It probably would have made the learning curve a little less steep mm-hmm. by the time I, I really got into this business. But the flip side is I, I think I learned how to think critically and uh, to communicate effectively in in kind of uh, persuasive sort of ways that, that I might not have been able to do otherwise. So, And then I'm just really interested in history. I mean, I, I remain to this day. It's, it's kind of what I read. Uh, I, I'm fascinated to see how events of, uh, particularly, it ended up being American history that really interested me, even though that wasn't my concentration. But, mm-hmm. but just kind of how history repeats itself—it's kind of one of the big themes of my book. I, I think we're certainly seeing that, you know, kind of in in the U.S. today. Yeah. And and to me, that I just think that's fascinating. It's funny. I was just getting ready to ask you what if there was a particular area of history that uh, you're you're interested in. Uh, Cliz and I. We have several references on this podcast from time to time to just different points of history and, and books and things that we're reading and things like that. Both big history fans. We had Sean Morris on a couple seasons ago. Um, he talked about his love of history, too. So you're, we're, this is all good stuff for us. This is right up our alley. So. Yeah, it seems like it's a, it's a normal uh, study for a lot of broadcasters. For some reason, I don't know why, but 
man, we, we love it. And, uh, we've, uh, we've had some great conversations with people, uh, that you would never think, you know, you never think would have that type of, uh, history background, but it's great. Any particular historical figure, Dave, that you, um, are, that you gravitate to and have read about or anything like that? You know, what's really interesting is a big part of my, my book kind of focused on period between like 1890 and 1915 and what a pivotal time it was in college football that basically made the argument that it was the, the most important portion of, of in the development of the game. Uh, the game, of course, nearly died at that time in, in like 1905. There was a major crisis right. and Teddy Roosevelt ended up playing a very significant role. Yeah in kind of keeping football alive. And, and I knew a lot about him, but in, in reading about him, I just found him to be an utterly yeah. fascinating human being. And, and I think, you know, truthfully, let's be honest here, there are a lot of people who, who think the same thing. I mean, he's probably one of our most written about presidents and one of our most studied presidents, but just kind of the force of his will and his, um, you know, kind of the sickly nature of his youth and how he kind of willed himself into being this this strapping heroic figure. Right. I, I just I just found him to be incredibly interesting. But that whole time period, I just thought was such a formative time in the U.S. that a lot of the institutions that that we take for granted today, where you know you're kind of in that post Civil War era, and I, I think America was starting to take shape in a way that would be understandable and distinguishable to, to people today. And so I found that time period, again, I related it to college football, but I think there are a lot of other things that you could, you could tie it to in that time period where, um, you know, kind of the, the America that we know today started to take shape. Well, you're talking about Teddy Roosevelt. I'm sitting here nodding my head. I've read probably three or four Teddy Roosevelt books. He's my favorite president. Um, and so all the stuff you, you said, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's dead on. And there, you're right. There are so many great books about him. Um, so many things that he did, uh, all of our national parks pretty much, you know, started by, by him, a uh, big conservationist. So ahead of his time in terms of how we treat the, um, our land resources here. And uh, he has a lot of prophetic quotes out there that, um, some of the damage we're doing to our planet right now would he'd be turning over in his grave. But, uh, that's very cool to hear you talk about him. The book that that Dave's talking about is called The Opening Kickoff, The Tumultuous Birth of a Football Nation. And I didn't realize how I knew that it was very popular. And you would, Dave will not say this, but it is it was on the New York Times bestseller list. That's, is that correct? It was, yeah. I mean, it is. Pretty a, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's your first book. And to have that, uh, basically, you get up to the plate and hit home run your first at bat. Uh, it was really gratifying, Elliot. It really was. I um, I spent like four years on it from from kind of the inception, the idea, and it really. I had originally set out to write a biography of Pat O'Day, who was an early football player at the University of Wisconsin and led this crazy life. Uh, he played at Wisconsin from 1896 to 1899. Was really the first great football player in our part of the country in, in huh. the Midwest. And his, and then his life like completely went off the rails after he graduated from Wisconsin. I had this fascinating, fascinating backstory, and I couldn't sell his story. It, he was so obscure that people were kind of like, "Well, you know, who's going to buy a book about a football player in the 1890s? No one's ever heard of." Yeah. But in the course of trying to sell his story, I started to read more about early college football and came to realize there was a great untold story there, again about the parallels between the early game and today and and about how formative those years were and that everything great about college football today and frankly all the challenges that face college football today and college athletics as a whole really had their start in that time period and so i kind of uh, uh, almost repackaged the book and, and took it back out to market and i ended up selling that book and then i use o'day as kind of a thread to to weave through it because kind of all of the things that that I, I want to point out, you know, from kind of the celebrity status, the, the media, how big college sports are in the media, to some of the challenges, frankly, like battles about amateurism, mm -hmm. uh, injury, struggles, academics, all those things, all kind of related to O'Day's story. And, and so I used him as kind of a controlling thread and, and was still able to, to tell his story. 
But yeah, it was incredibly gratifying. I mean, I, I'd say I'm really proud of my broadcasting career and it has far exceeded anything that I thought it would be. Um, and, and the fact that I got to be in on the ground floor of really two great networks, ESPN News, I was one of the first hires there. And then, of course, the Big Ten Network, which, which I think I'll always be most closely identified with um, and has been has so far exceeded what I ever believed that it would be. Uh, both those things have been incredibly gratifying. There's something about writing a book where it's just you. You know, it would have been so yeah. easy so many times to just say, you know what, I can't sell this thing. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, but, but I kind of kept going with it. And, and so I do have a real pride with that. And I, you know, I, obviously I brought it up too, but, but I appreciate you bringing it up. And yeah, and well, you should, that's, that's, it's awesome. I, I'm, um, and I think it's a topic too, that, uh, you know, not a lot out there on it. And, um, I think it was, uh, I, and I, I've seen a lot of people, I know when it came out, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of notoriety and publicity on it. And uh, a lot of people on social media were, we're uh, taking that book in and, and giving good reviews. So uh, for our listeners, we have a lot of listeners. You'd be amazed at the stuff that I get uh, emailed to us, and we've had some listeners in the past get us uh, sent books our way and everything. So we know we've got a lot of readers um, that listen to this podcast. So if you get a chance, go uh, go check Dave's book out. So Dave, when Northwestern, your time there concludes, um, what, what was your next step? I mean, how... Um, were you at, at what point did you say, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go into the broadcasting field. Um, was there a moment where you may think, thought you may have gone in a different direction? Yeah, definitely. I was set to go to law school and I had done really well on, on the LSAT and was applying to schools. And then after my senior year of, of college, well, during my senior year of college, I applied for uh, something called a rotary scholarship. People are probably familiar with the rotary clubs. Mm-hmm. They sponsor like a thousand scholarships worldwide, basically to send people abroad. And you are an ambassador of goodwill and understanding. <laughs> your, job is to, uh, your job is to go to, to Rotary Clubs in whatever country they send you to and kind of talk about your background and, and to work towards the ideals of Rotary, which kind of fosters world understanding. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected as, as a Rotary Scholar and got sent to Ireland. Very and good. I think the best, which, which was the best, I mean, it's like, the, yeah, it's the most unbelievable country. I don't know if any, either of you guys have been there. Um, have not. But it, it, it's, have you been there, Chris? No. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the most wonderful people, they love Americans there, because you know, every Irish story ends up with people coming to the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh and it just gave me time to think. I, I, I think I really realized that I was going to law school for kind of all the wrong reasons. I didn't really want to be a lawyer, but I just, I didn't know what else to do because I was a history major. Frankly, that I was afraid to fail at broadcasting. That again, I, I'd been around all these people who I thought were more talented than me. And so that it, it felt like it was too big of a risk. And did I want to move to the middle of nowhere and, and start my career when I, I could do something else? Uh, and, you know, that would be kind of more uh, mainstream and maybe socially acceptable among my peers and mm-hmm. my parents and my parents' friends and all, <laughs> all right. the people who had, who had ideals and expectations for me. And, and I think I stopped looking inward and really feeling, thinking about what it was that I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And so I ended up deferring my law school admissions. I came back to the U.S. Uh, I, I had some really bad tapes, like poor quality tapes. I sent out, I applied for the play-by-play drop job in Rockford for the CBA team. I didn't get it. And I ended up going back and uh, going to like the, you know, whatever it is, Career Center at Northwestern. And it, it, this was 1992. We were in a major recession. There weren't a ton of jobs out there, but I was fortunate enough to end up in this corporate training program at Chase. Uh, you know, one of these Wall Street jobs where they train you for like three months and then you go off and you're a, an analyst in the corporate bank. And I, I, you know, people always say to me, well, at what point did you know that it was wrong for you? And uh, my line is, you know, I was fairly, I was fairly certain by the first morning when I, I went to the bathroom the first time. But by the time I got to lunch, I was 100 percent sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't feel right, huh? It just didn't feel right. Like, I just knew that, and, and I just knew it wasn't who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do at that point. Yeah. You know, I'm all dressed up in a suit. I'm getting off the subway at Wall Street, and 
all these people walking around taking themselves so seriously and <laughs> doing deals and and I just didn't care. I didn't I didn't care whether the the bank's clients made money or lost money. I just wasn't invested in it. It yeah. wasn't yeah. You know, I just like it, it just didn't feel like I was doing what I wanted to be doing. It didn't feel like I was impacting the world in any kind of a positive way. And I'm not going to say that what we do uh, is, is, you know, again, it's sports, it's, it's right. a diversion. But, but Chris, I mean, you've seen this, you know, you understand the impact you've had on people as you've had kind of this, you know, kind of what you've gone through medically here and, and those challenges. You understand how important this is in people's lives. Yeah. And that, yeah. again, that, that's, I'm not minimizing like working on Wall Street. If people want to do that, that's fine. But I just didn't feel like I was going to be contributing to society in any positive way. I didn't enjoy it. And and so about a year into it, I just said, I'm not doing this. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I was deferring law school at that point, but I basically said, I'm going to go and I'm going to give this broadcasting thing a chance. And so I, I had a high school friend actually applied to journalism graduate school, was accepted to that. But, but then I had a friend who was doing small market TV, a friend from high school who basically said, I think I can get you a job down here. And he was in a small town called Sherman, Texas, which wow. is about an hour north of Dallas wow. on yeah. the Oklahoma border. Yeah. And uh, and he did get me a job. Uh, basically, I went down there on my own dime, interviewed with his boss, and his boss had like 200 resume tapes stacked up in his office and basically said, why should I hire you? You have no background in this. And, <laughs> Somehow I convinced him, and uh, he hired the guy without the tape. And uh, after a couple of years, I, I went from there to the Quad Cities. And after a year, I went from the Quad Cities to ESPN. And uh, you know, it's really, really a remarkable story. I was very fortunate. I got a lot of breaks along the way. I worked really hard, uh, and then finally, uh, when I when I got the job at ESPN after after paying to defer my law school admissions. Uh, for for five or six years, I, I stopped doing that, and I said, "I'm. I guess I made it," and uh, and and started in on a broadcasting career. So ESPN, um, you were there ten years, roughly ten years. Yeah, a little over ten. Yeah, yeah. and um, I've been to Bristol once. I went. I actually went uh, when I was the SID here. I, Coach Katie and I spent a day um, in the ESPN complex, and we did a variety of things. We did radio show in the, the morning. And, yeah. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's it's quite a place out there, and I can only imagine um, you know how it's grown and everything over the years. But at the time when you got there, kind of just talk about what ESPN was like. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, when I got there, it was preeminent, and you know, you had Dan and Keith in their heyday, Olbermann and Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Sports Center was a must watch. I got there in late October of nineteen ninety six. And yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal. I got there as part of the launch of ESPN News. I was one of the original hires, uh, along with uh, the only people who are still there are Greeny, who I already mentioned, and John Butchigross. Everyone else is, yeah. is gone. But there was a group of, I want to say, 12 or 13 of us. And ESPN News was this new concept. It was basically CNN headline news for sports. It was 24 hours a day on a 30-minute loop, everything you needed to know. And again, this is really, it's not pre-internet, but the internet is at its infancy. It's certainly before cell phones. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the way people got their sports news, what was ESPN. And so to be there, uh, it, it was an incredible growth period. Uh, I really felt like I was among the best and the brightest of sports. I mean, you really felt like you were at the epicenter and then anything that happened in the sports world kind of revolved, kind of uh, passed through ESPN. I, I don't really know how to put it other than that, but like kind of our, whatever it was that we said kind of became, not me, I mean, you know, I was just like a really small, insignificant cog in the wheel, but <laughs> but what we as a network said held a lot of sway. Yeah. And yeah. and it was, it was, it was fascinating. I mean, uh, the personalities in that newsroom were amazing. You know, people who became... Uh, really influential in my life. Uh, Bob Lee was was a huge influence on me. Mike Tirico helped me out a ton uh, in terms of finding my voice. Chris Fowler, you know, I mean, you think about kind of those people that that I cross paths with on a daily basis. And yeah, yeah that's it, cool. it was pretty remarkable. So, yeah. 
it, it was great. And, and I was very fortunate in that uh, I ascended pretty quickly. Uh, within six months of getting there, I hosted my first sports center. It was Final Four weekend of 1997 was the first day I got to do Sports Center, and, and I'd say within a year I was I was pretty much a regular on Sports Center. But but always was really my pull was towards college sports. It was what I really grew up following. I loved college sports, and and always have, and and so tried to figure out ways to to navigate in that direction. About five years or so in, I I was fortunate enough to be able to start doing some play by play. I was one of the few. Uh, studio hosts at that time who got that opportunity uh, to do college basketball games uh, started hosting a lot of college basketball studio did the college game day radio show initially with mel kuyper and then later with with jerry DiNardo and todd mcshay um and so that was a a great in into college football that was eight hours every saturday and we traveled to to the location wherever game day was and and again, Chris and, and Kirk and those guys were so incredibly supportive of, of us and what we were doing and of me in particular. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I just feel like I, I was really blessed to, to be there. I had yeah, an incredible I guess, experience. Yeah, I guess you were because I can remember in those days, uh, a lot of people thought I was good. And they'd come up to me and they'd say, Chris, how come you don't ever go to ESPN, man? Why don't you go to ESPN? And I said, there's one reason why I don't go to ESPN. They say, what's that? I said, they never asked me to join them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's it's one thing to say, hey, I'm, you know, ESPN was knocking on my door. It's another thing to have like you had, where you had you had contacts almost all the way through the whole the whole thing. It was unbelievable. Yeah, you that was and and I. I, I knew some of that um, based on just kind of the stuff I was reading up on this morning. Um, did did you like the? I mean, eight hours on a radio show is that? That's a long. That's obviously a long time. Were those? Oh, it was great. Yeah, I those, mean, it was an unbelievable show. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Mel is one of the world's great human beings, <laughs> and so uh, I love getting to know him and and his eccentricities and quirks, but also his <laughs> incredible kindness. I yeah. mean, just. A wonderful guy, uh, and then you were—you felt like you were in the middle of it. I mean, yeah. we'd go to really good games, and uh, people would—we had six or seven TV sets that would be set up facing out to the crowd, and that's pretty. Cool. I mean, it wasn't college game day, you know. Donardo right. said his line was that uh, when he started doing the show with, with Todd and and me, he said, uh, "You know, those guys are the Beatles. We're the monkeys." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I thought that was pretty accurate. You know, but we have a few hundred people uh, at any given time gathered around and, and listening to the show and, and watching us do our thing. And, of course, we were on, you know, every ESPN radio station in America. And so that was great for me. It was a really good way to get involved in college football. You know, I always felt like, uh, you know, Chris, obviously, at that point was, was the face of game day. And, and you had Reese in the studio, who I have the utmost respect for and has been a great friend and supporter as well and Mm -hmm. i felt like that was the best place for me you know kind of what was the next best thing that i could do i wasn't going to supplant either of those guys so what could i do and and to me the radio show was a perfect way to really be involved in college football to get to know we went on campus so yeah we get to know coaches we'd have time with the coaches the day before you're with mel at at the beginning and, and of course people have the utmost respect for him and so that gave you ins that you wouldn't otherwise have. So I felt like I, I really got a feel for kind of who some of these people were and got to know people in a way that I wouldn't have had I been sitting in the studio in Bristol. And you talked about, you know, before ESPN News, um, you know, and this is before jumping on Twitter and reading, you know, up-to-date, to-the-minute stuff. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, if you wanted, like, an update at, like, 3.30 in the afternoon on something – you really only before ESPN News came along was CNN Headline Sports that came on like at you know twenty and fifty after the hour and yeah <laughs> I remember some of those guys like I always remember the you know Jerome Jerenovich CNN Headline Sports that that line he used all the time that was your option and then ESPN News Van Earl right remember Van Earl yeah <laughs> yes yeah absolutely um, but yeah. just. Uh, that, yeah, that, that was it. And now, you know, now you turn on a TV and you expect to see a crawl at the bottom. 
you know, you expect to see if you're looking at a score. I mean, everybody goes to their phone now. But uh, even if you don't, even if you're maybe out somewhere, you're just looking up at, at a TV and you expect to see a crawl and you expect to see, um, you know, a score flash that you're interested in. So it's which amazing you, how things have changed. Got. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, ESPN, to, uh, just over 10 years, um, how early uh, or what point did you um, know about the Big Ten Network um, did they reach out to you kind of before things were made public about this creation, or how did that work? Well, I remember seeing the press release about the Big Ten Network, and you have to understand when you're in Bristol, you know, the Big Ten Network really evolved in part out of a dispute with ESPN. Right, yeah. And so when you're in Bristol, you have, or at least I did at that time, I saw everything through the lens of ESPN. I mean, I was a company guy. I yeah. loved it. You know, to your point, Cliz, because, I mean, Cliz, you would have knocked it out of the park had you gotten the opportunity at, at ESPN. I mean, I know, you know, look, your career has been incredible. Um, and, and, you know, we all look at our careers and say, well, this was the way that it made sense. And I think it made sense for you to be, you know, the voice of, of Purdue. And, and I, I'm sure in a lot of ways, you, you know, you don't see it any other way. But, but there are a million people out there who are, maybe not a million, there are a lot of people out there in our business who are good enough to go to ESPN and succeed at a really high level. And and I was acutely aware of that, right? Like I realized how fortunate I had been. And so I saw everything through the lens of ESPN. And so when, when this press release came out, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good luck going head-to-head with the behemoth because I, I, I liked the behemoth's chances from where I was sitting. Right. So, so I, I didn't give it really much thought at all. Uh, but I was in a contract year. It was going to be my fourth deal with ESPN. And uh, they made an offer that was for a long time to stay. Um, But, you know, like financially, it it was a nice bump up, but it it wasn't kind of what I originally had in mind, maybe. uh, And so I said, I had an agent at this point, and I said to him, well, you know, what else is out there? And he said, well, it's funny. I I just had a conversation with the Big Ten Network, and uh, they're really interested in you. But, you know, I didn't didn't know whether you'd be interested in that. And I kind of said, well, you know, I don't really think I am. I, I don't really know much about it, but... We, we can pretend I am. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. You know, like, let, let's, I, I mean, in, in the in contracts and that business, it comes down to whether or not you have leverage. And, yeah. and I just felt like I had always been a, a company guy who felt like I'd be rewarded for what I had done in Bristol, and I was rewarded, and that they continued to employ me with, with long-term contracts. But, um, but I just felt like, you know, I was being undervalued a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, right. I mean, I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth a little. <laughs> like, acutely aware of the fact they could replace me at any moment and no one would blink <laughs> an eye. But also, but also knowing that I was being given a lot of responsibility. Sure. And that I did a, a lot of high-profile stuff, hosted a lot of sports centers, um, and, and just when, when, when sports center wasn't on 24 hours a day, like when there were only three sports centers, it was kind of a big deal to be on one of them. Um, but it's also human nature to see others around you probably getting contracts and yeah. having a good idea of what they were getting. And I, I remember yeah. the, the, when I had a conversation once with Chris Fowler about, I said, you know, you've got a really good, at the time he was basically doing college game day. He was doing the sports centuries, that, uh, that series that came out. He was narrating and hosting those. And then he was obviously doing his, which he still does, his tennis duties. And I said, you know, you got a pretty good setup. I said, how did you? And he goes, oh, he said, it's all negotiated. He said, you know, I went out and got an offer from CNN and came back. And ESPN said, we want to keep you. What is it going to take? And he said, okay, this is what I want to do. And he go, and you obviously you have to be fortunate to yep. be able to in that position because there's could be times when ESPN says, well, I guess you're going to work at CNN then. But <laughs> right. uh, you know, but but uh, that's kind of when you see other people around you kind of calling their shots. I can I can completely understand the mindset of that. So at that point, so that's, um, I think that maybe they made their first contact maybe in February or so of 2007. 
And I said, well, let's play it out. Let's just at least go talk to them. And I, I came to Chicago and I met with Leon Schweier, who was the executive producer, who was a Purdue guy, was a swimmer at, at Purdue yep, and yep. Uh, just a wonderful guy. And I realized that I really had no idea what the Big Ten Network was going to be. I mean, I basically thought that it was just going to be kind of the, that ESPN regional television, which originated out of Charlotte. Right. Those, those syndicated games. I basically just thought it was that. I didn't understand that it was a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week network. I didn't understand the vision they had for it. And I also didn't understand how, how invested they were in getting me. I, I really... <laughs> was kind of, you know, I, I guess I kind of came out thinking, well, they're probably a bunch of guys they're talking to or whatever. And he basically said, like, five minutes into the conversation, like, you're our guy. We have targeted you. Uh, we really want you. We, we think you're a perfect fit. And, uh, you know, what's it going to take to get you here? Wow. <laughs> so many words. And so I, I was kind of floored, and I remember going out. They were in temporary offices at that time on Michigan Avenue. We're now a little bit further west of there. Uh, and so I remember going into Water Tower Place for those who know Chicago, and just kind of trying to disappear into the <laughs> into the mass of people, and get, going into a corner and picking up my cell phone and calling my wife, who I had you know told her, hey, we're just doing this for leverage, and we're not really going to take this job. And and uh, I called her and told her a little <laughs> bit about it, and I said, you know, I, I think I might really want this job. And her line, I'll never forget it. She said, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> <laughs> You're deviating from the plan. Yes. So, but then as I explained to her kind of what it was, I think she understood uh, why it would appeal to me. And then I came back out and met with Mark Silverman and Jim Delaney about a week or two later and, and was totally sold. Yeah. With Mark, Mark Silverman and Jim Delaney. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that's like, uh, what a couple that is, huh? Yeah. that, that was... <laughs> it, was, it was impressive, Quiz. I mean, you know, obviously everyone knows Jim. Um, I didn't realize kind of how committed he was to this and, and again, how invested. I wouldn't say Jim was that invested in getting me. He was invested in getting the person that, that Mark and Leon had identified, but, but Mark was certainly very invested in, in getting me and, uh, you know, made it clear how much they wanted me. And, uh, they just blew me away. Their vision for the network, again, my understanding of what it was going to be, uh, understanding they had a 20-year contract to run the network so that it wasn't something that would just fizzle out in a year or two. Uh, all those things, I think, just blew me away. And, and then the opportunity to be in Chicago to cover the league that I had grown up following. As I said, I grew up in, in a Big Ten family. My father taught at three different Big Ten schools. My sister went to Wisconsin. I went to Northwestern. You know, we're like, this is kind of, I love college sports, the league I grew up following. So to me, it, it just kind of became a no-brainer. And then, unfortunately, my father literally passed away as I was being offered the job. Oh, and uh, that was a, a really like a surreal experience. It was crazy. Like he was on, you know, he had been sedated, so he was still alive, but they didn't know what he could hear. And oh. I'm offered the job, and I'm in Chicago, and I'm talking to him. And does he understand? Does he not understand? And you know, my mom's here, and, and it just felt like it was meant to be. I'm not really a big believer in those kinds of things, but, but sounds in this like unique it. case, sounds you know, like it, yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. So we took the leap of faith, and, and it's been more than I ever could have expected it would be. It's just been awesome. I mean, over-the-top, great, incredible people. Well, that, well, I, I've been so honored. I always say this, guys, like I, I hosted the – the Big Ten um, kickoff luncheon, which I've done five or six times, and, and I, I, I space out on the number, but I think it, it's something like three or four million living Big Ten graduates. Yeah. And to be the one guy who's oh, kind of in that spot. No, no doubt. It's amazing. Well, I totally find, amazing. Well, I find it amazing. Um, you know, I'm 71 years old, so I've been through all of this, uh, starting yeah. way back when ESPN first started. When they came up with this lame idea that they're going to have a 24-7 <laughs> uh, sports network. And from that time until pff, last year, I keep saying it isn't going to, it's not going to be perpetual. This will not exist a year from here or a year from here or a year. And, and the Big Ten was one of them. I said, there's no way the Big Ten can go 24-7. No way. Well, yeah, everything that I've ever said about any of this stuff has been completely reversed. 
everything that I said would work hasn't, and everything that they say worked has. And uh, thank God they didn't use me as a consultant. Yeah, well, well, to your <laughs> to your point, Dave, I, I think when the the initial concept was out, you know, a lot of us were kind of thinking like, okay, well, I guess maybe. And I certainly, I know at the time um, here at Purdue, you know, f- for the longest time, we grew up in, in Purdue country and in Indiana um, with, you, you know, every Purdue game is on TV, every Indiana game is on TV. Uh, most of the time, it was growing up, it was on Raycom. Then it went to ESPN Regional, and then all of a sudden, you started seeing some some cracks here. And it was well, we might not get a couple games this year, and that was just like that was blasphemy. It was like, you, what do you mean we're not going to see a game? Even though it might have been a non-conference game on yeah. December 30th against a directional school, uh, people yeah. were irate that they couldn't see their team play. And it was, and I think that's kind of around the time when everybody started looking at rights deals and saying, why are we paying somebody else when we can maintain some of these ourselves? And uh, so the concept I thought was very interesting, kind of knowing, knowing a little bit of the behind the scenes of it. And then when I, I, I do remember when I saw your name linked to it, I thought, you know, that is so smart to go get an established guy like that because it just, to me, it's, it's the first sign that I saw of some instant credibility for the network. And uh, they they made a, obviously made a great choice, and it's uh, it, it you know the rest is history as they say. I mean the, the network uh, you started there in May of '07. Now obviously here we are in 2018, and it's rolling along and and uh, doing better than ever. Um, is this? Do you think this is the? Is just your favorite time of year? The time when we're as we tape this, it's it's October, or you're kind of in the beginning of basketball season and the heart of football season is is this the best time of year for you in terms of what you do with the network it is when worlds start colliding right. Elliot. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know i got basketball studio next tuesday i've got a game on thursday i pick up after the game and drive to our location for btn tailgate for that saturday wow <laughs> arrive at like two o'clock in the morning so yeah i mean it's going to be challenging and this time of year is always challenging but man it's so much fun yeah uh and you know just the chance to again i mean i don't know i I just feel so lucky to be covering sports that i'm really passionate about a league that i'm passionate about uh i've never been put in that spot where i've had to cover something that i don't care about and and i always kind of feared it at espn i would actually say there was one year i'm gonna backtrack on that there was one year where i hosted the nba tonight on really? ESPN2. And I'm just not a big NBA fan. Yeah. And and I wasn't into it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was okay. You know, I, I don't hate the NBA. And I right. think I like it more now than I did then. This was right after Jordan retired. I thought the league was at a really, in a really bad spot. Yeah. Around 2000 or so. Um, it You know, it's gotten far better. And I think it's, it's pretty compelling these days. But that was like the one time where I kind of was thinking, okay, like I love sports and I'm fine with covering the NBA a little bit on SportsCenter, but I don't want to be doing the NBA every night. Right. I, I just don't like it that much. So I just feel so fortunate to be doing what I love. I mean, I love college sports. I particularly love the Big Ten. So, yeah, if you have a long day, which involves a lot of different stuff and being up on basketball and football and having to – You'll be on the air a lot or whatever it might be or get in a car and drive for four hours i'm i'm fine with that because because uh, i love it so much well you're a lead an- analyst and 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 the lead guy you're the you're the dude and and you represent a network but the thing that gets me about doing what we do and in the 24 7 uh cycle is that we just continue over and over and over and over and over again every day on one story. So <laughs> yes. if LeBron if LeBron has a perspiration that goes from his kneecap to his ankle, that thing has been covered and we have video of it a thousand times. Look at LeBron's perspiration there oh my goodness what will this mean to the team tonight and it's become it's it's become like that every day it seems to me like with no matter where you tune it's uh well what about uh 
you know, what about, uh, you know, the quarterback from the Browns? Or what about, uh, you know, Pat Mahomes? Or I mean, it's like this guy all day long that's all they talk about that's a yeah that's i can i do see that especially when you have to fill time is what you're getting down to yeah i mean it's 24 hours a day and you have to especially this talk radio and it's on and on the same topic over and over and uh, i i agree with the interesting quiz i saw that evolve when i was at espn i filled in a lot on espn radio in addition to having that that show on saturdays and and that notion like we used to the original notion on ESPN Radio was, okay, well, let's do, we got a three-hour show, and let's bring Barry Melrose on to talk hockey for a while, and maybe we'll have someone on to talk golf for a while. And you thought of it as a three-hour show and, and trying to touch all the bases, so to speak. And then they came to realize, look, people listen in 10 or 15-minute chunks, and if, it's, if that's the 15 minutes where Barry Melrose is on, no disrespect to Barry because – He's the best hockey guy out there. Right. But the truth is, it's a niche sport. Yeah. And so people probably don't want to hear that on average. And so you need to have the things that in that 10 or 15 minutes when people turn it on that they want to hear about. You need to be talking about the biggest stories. Their line was, we need to play the hits. And I think that's kind of what it's become, right? You play the hits. Yeah. yeah. And, and if LeBron is the hit, then that's what you do. Well, and I and and your former uh, your former employer has uh, catches some flack for that. I mean, you know, you know, they will play up the. I mean, I can't tell you how many times they play up the Yankees Boston rivalry, and it's like some of us care about that, and some of us don't. And and uh, and to Cliz's point, sometimes when when something happens to a superstar, it gets milked to death. And, and there's some of us out there that want a little bit more breath to the coverage and. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes when they stick on those certain topics, it's hard to find. But, but that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about the Big Ten Network is that if people are tuning in to the Big Ten Network, they're Big Ten people. And uh, you know, I, I, I know far more about the teams in our league. I mean, I would know about them anyway because of my job. But um, I think people know more about the schools in our league. Uh, than they would be obviously before the Big Ten Network started, but I know more. I feel like I know more about college campuses in our league too. I mean, there's the the programming that goes beyond just the sports part. I find myself watching some campus shows from time to time, and I I never knew that about minute you know what they're doing at Minnesota. Or I never knew that about things they're doing at Penn State. So it's uh, to that point the twenty four seven aspect. I think has been really good from the BTN. You know, I would say this, and, and what we're doing right now is such a prime example of it. I think that our industry has gone from broadcasting to narrow casting. I, I think that mm-hmm. yep. there's, there's so much out there, and people really have come to realize that I can focus on exactly what I want to focus on. If I am interested in Purdue basketball, then there are going to be ways for me to get that information that didn't exist 10 years ago, even five years ago, right? And, right. And podcasting is a huge part of that. I, I think the BTN, I don't want to say it was the first. It was certainly the first conference to, to realize that potential. But there, you know, again, the evolution of television from, from the networks to cable to niche cable, all of these different kind of movements throughout the years to me, have been a, a movement from that concept of broadcasting, the concept of narrowcasting. And BTN is just, there needs to be enough of a critical mass of people who really care about it. Right. Right. right I mean, right. you know, you can't, I mean, I know I, I, I could come up with, you know, the most obscure topic in the world. I'm not even going to try to because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but, you know, there are people who are interested in everything in the world. There needs to be enough of a critical mass of people to be able to kind of monetize it or at least have some sort of um, make it seem worth your while. Yep. Uh, but but there's enough stuff out there that that you can that it can evolve in that way and, and serve a group of people who really want to be served. And, and I think that's what BTN's done. And I'll say it's been incredibly gratifying to be out on the road and to have people particularly outside of the Big Ten footprint guys. You know, like when I'm on vacation with my family and we're in California and someone comes up and says hi and, you know, says I'm a Michigan State fan. I live here in 
in LA and I watch you all the time and you are my connection to my school and thank you. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I was just in, um, I spent a week in, um, Key West here just a couple weeks ago and, uh, I was wearing a lot of Purdue gear. uh, I will admit to that. And of course that was right after we beat Ohio state. But it was amazing. <laughs> but it was amazing. No coincidence. Yeah. It was amazing how many people, you know, they'd be sitting next to me having breakfast or something, and this guy from Georgia would say, hey, man, oh, you did some stuff on those guys. And uh, I said, well, you know, that's how it goes occasionally. And, and then, you know, we started talking for a half an hour, you know. And then the next table, Hey, there's a Purdue guy. It's just amazing. Just the just the P, the uh, motion P on your on your uh, on your outfit. It's it's incredible. Well, one thing I think has been cool too is the people. Some of the my former colleagues when I was in the sports information side of things that are in different leagues. Um, when the when the growth of the Big Ten Network, they always express their jealousy of man. That is pretty cool. Like. I wish our league had something like that because that is really cool. And they would tell me about the different times they would watch. And I was amazed at how they didn't necessarily have a tie to the Big Ten, but they would watch our programming um, because they just were fans of sports. And that was pretty cool to me that, that my conference had this. And, and at the time, uh, they didn't. Now there's uh, the conference is kind of joining the mix. But uh, it was kind of cool to be in um, on the early uh stages of that so. thing is though with Dave being here I you know and he's a good guy to talk to about it is where does this end how does this get sustained because I keep asking that question I'm I'm 71 years old and I keep asking how does this how is this sustainable and it has been for 50 years you know and uh but I, I where does this go Eighty million in terms of the uh, networks quiz, or yeah, or in terms your... in terms of uh, payout, uh, what these uh, schools are going to get money wise, yeah. and um, you know we're up to forty million, we're going to go to eighty million, we're going to go to one hundred twenty million. Where where are we going? Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> mean, I th- I think that's a great question. I I'd be lying if I said I I know the answer to it. Yeah, um, and what's your percentage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't negotiate my deal quite that way. Uh, so my, you know, people always said, "Wow, you were really smart, real visionary," but you know, maybe not as much as I should have been. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, look to me, I, I, I think it keeps going until it's no longer sustainable, and I, I don't know what that means. I don't know where where that end is. Um, but there is an incredible passion for college athletics in this country, as you guys are, are well aware. Yeah. And particularly in, in our part of the country, particularly in Big Ten country, these are great universities, which people have an incredible affinity for. And we've created this, uh, this system in our country. And again, I, I would argue it, it has roots 125 years ago. Uh, where the universities understood that they were in the marketing business, first and foremost, and and that part of marketing was to keep alums connected to it, and that sports was a vehicle to do that. And and that's kind of where it came from. I mean, sports just happened to be in the right place at the right time to kind of make this happen. Yeah, that's a great point. That's how college sports happened. And, again, that's kind of one of the the big themes I talk about in in my book is, is that it was really just this accident of history. But it has become, as people always say, the front porch of the university, the most identifiable part of the school. Right. And you're sitting there in Key West, Quiz, and you know Purdue has so many amazing things as a school that have nothing to do with athletics, right? right I mean, it's right, one of the right. foremost engineering schools in the world. It's an incredible research institution. You know, we could go on and on and on about the great things that are happening. You know, not to mention, I think that kind of they've been at the forefront and trying to make school affordable and tuition freezes and a lot of the the things that make Purdue so amazing and unique in the world of higher education and yet for better or for worse what do people know they know about Rondell Moore and 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 people university presidents understood that in 1896 like they got it (laughs) yeah right yeah that's pretty incredible 
it's amazing. So where does that end? I don't know. It hasn't ended for 125 years. It's just kept growing and growing and growing. At some point, to your point, I mean, I think everything reaches a critical spot where, you know, is this still, can this still be a, a growth area? And, and I don't know. I, I hope for all of our sakes that it continues because I, I think it's wonderful to be a part of it. But, you know, if you have to recalibrate at some point, I, I think then you recalibrate. Well, that's all, uh, that, yeah, that's all really good stuff. And, um, Dave, we do a thing on our segment here, or on our uh, podcast, a segment called The Final Four, and it's it's four questions kind of off the beaten path that we ask everybody. So we're going to enter the final four here with our, our guest, Dave Revson of the Big Ten Network. First question here of the final four, Dave, is what is your go-to music of choice? Well, I would say my favorite band is R.E.M., from like the first five or six albums uh, before they kind of became really big commercially. But a lot of college rock kind of from that that era, yeah. late 80s, early 90s, maybe even early 80s, um, that, that's kind of my go-to. But I would say kind of early R.E.M. is is probably my favorite group. You know, I've always wa- I've never been to Athens, Georgia, and as many colleges I've visited as part of this as part of my career, I've never been to Athens, and I've always wanted to go because REM's from Athens, and played a bunch of a uh, bunch of small clubs down there. And I've always said when I get to Athens, I'm going to check some of these small clubs out. And there's a, I think there's a club down there, the 40 Watt Club, which is also home of a band, the Drive By Truckers, that I'm a big fan of. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, so REM is a very very cool band. They tremendous stuff, and it was uh, they just obviously uh, they just retired so to speak or broke up a couple of years ago. So. And I've been to uh, Athens. I've done a game in Athens, and I had a uh, a visitor uh, right behind me on air on air, and his name uh, happened to be. Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about wow. that? The yeah. Gambler. Yeah. The gambler joined him for a broadcast back when uh, Coach Painter was playing. So How cool is that? Oh, it, was pretty, it was pretty cool. I was totally opposed to having him be a guest of ours. I had a producer <laughs> that just made a big deal about it. I said, no, let this guy enjoy himself. Let him be at a ball game, man. We don't have to, we don't have to go on an interview request with him. So I went out in the lobby at halftime to get a coat, and I came back, and there was Kenny sitting in my chair. <laughs> and you know what his, uh, you know what his great uh, final question was, uh, Dave? You'll love this. He said, uh, "Kenny, I just want to let you know that my wife and me, we just love your Christmas album." <laughs> And I'm thinking, Christmas album, this is Kenny Rogers. This guy got like 60 number one hits, and you're talking about his Christmas album. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Anyway. That was uh, hilarious. Uh, the things that Purdue basketball brings to the table. I'll tell you, it also makes you realize, Cliz, when, when you get overruled by the producer, really how little say we have in this. Oh, place, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've always known that. We're not in charge. Yeah. You guys are just the pretty. You're, like, you're just the pretty face. You were just. I mean, you were just saying when you, when I've always uh, negotiated my contracts. It's like, yeah, okay. What's that number there? Yeah, uh, okay. Is that okay, Larry? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. That that looks good. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. No. No. It's it's a pretty easy job. All right, Dave. Second question here of the Final Four. What is uh, your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? I think my favorite book, the book that has influenced me the most, I I mentioned I spend a lot of time talking to student groups. There's a book I read a number of years ago called Excellent Sheep. And it really, to me, I, I worry a lot because I feel I've been so fortunate in my career of being able to do something that I love to do. And this book speaks a lot to people doing things they don't love to do and just kind of following along because it's what they're supposed to do. Really? What the next step is. And so Excellent Sheep, it was written by a professor, former professor at Yale, and it just talks about kind of career choices for students. And it influenced me profoundly. I mean, I think I I realized that I've been very fortunate and 
and had really um, kind of without knowing it made some of the right decisions for myself and asked myself the right questions. But, but I am passionate about finding what you want to do in life and trying to figure out a way to make it happen. And, yeah. and this book is about that. So, so that would probably be the one that, that I would most recommend. I mean, there's obviously a ton of great novels that, you know, I, I love to read and, um, you know, great history books and whatnot. Uh, you know, I mean, I could go on reading is a huge part of my life. But in terms of a book that's influenced the way I think, Excellent Sheep would probably be the number one. That's very cool. The first time I've heard of that book. That's uh, yeah. Do it. Do what pays the rent, and uh, do something you enjoy that that en- enables you to pay the rent, and you'll be fine, right? Absolutely. So, if uh, thir- question three here on the final four, if you could wave a wand and do any other profession tomorrow, what would that be? I don't want to sound corny, but I mean, I am doing exactly <laughs> what I want to do. So I can't really, I mean, I guess the only other thing, uh, I'd love to be a professional golfer, but you know, you I, go. I have a hard time, I have a hard time breaking 90, but I'd say that's my other passion. I really do enjoy golf. I, I actually, for a long time, kind of stopped playing when the kids were at an age where I felt I couldn't justify being away from the house for five or six hours at a time, No doubt. but I uh, have gotten back into it over the last three or four summers. And it, it might be something relating to golf. Uh, because I, I do, I just think it's a ton of fun and it it is one place where I feel I can relax and, and, and I love the notion of constantly trying to improve and, and get better. So, uh, maybe, maybe that'd be the other thing, but, uh, but I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Nothing raises the handicap like young kids in the house. There's no, Uh, no, it was a lost cause. (laughs) No doubt about that. I just gave up. Okay, final question here on the final floor with Dave Revson is what is one thing that not many or no one knows about you? Oh, um, well, given that this is a, a Purdue podcast, I'm going to give my connection to Neil Armstrong. Okay. Which is that I was born on July 20th, 1969, the day Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. Wow. That's pretty cool. Very good one. Yeah. That's really cool. That is... Yeah. So, uh, always... You know, when you talk about famous days in history, I think that's one of the kind of defining days of... Absolutely. People kind of, you know, maybe a generation or even a half generation older than I am. And, and when I tell people that's the day I was born, they, everyone knows where they were on that day. And, and so that's pretty cool. Yes, yeah. I was in Okinawa. I was in Okinawa in a bowling alley. Really? When uh, when uh, Neil Armstrong did that. Yeah, absolutely. Were you in the service, quiz? Yeah, I was in the Army. And, uh, wow. and we were, you know, we're bowling. We had a bowling night, and that's how that all came about. Now, did you, did you know all that was coming? Oh, yeah, we knew. And so the, TV, the bowling alley had TVs in it? Yeah, it had a lot of TVs in it. And so you were able to sit around and watch? Well, yeah, but it wasn't like, all right, here's what's going to happen. We didn't know. We just saw them, you know, starting to, you know, seeing the video, and, and everyone kind of stopped, and... Look, it was uh, it was great. Yeah, it was Okinawa. So when you walk into a bowling alley, there's all that there's that echo of pins knocking down. Did that all kind of come to a, oh, yeah. a halt? Stop. That had to be pretty cool. Yeah, everything stopped. Yeah, it was it was really cool. But you know, we never we didn't know. I mean, you know that that that's history there because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if he's going to fall out or right. You know, you don't know anything, and so you're just captivated by. It what that was but That's it, very cool. it, it was really neat and like he said everybody knows where they were and uh, but Dave I want to say to you um, on behalf of uh, Purdue and uh, on behalf of Elliot and, and our basketball department it's you are a first-class guy and uh, every everything I've ever had with you has been first-class and you represent uh, the Big Ten that way, and we're very, very appreciative, and we always appreciative of all the things you do for us. Well, that's really nice of you to say, Chris. I uh, try really hard to do so. I've had nothing but great experiences with Purdue, including flying home with you guys from Penn State in a snowstorm. Yeah, I remember uh, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but everyone there has, has always treated me so well, and 
kind of what you say is what I try to do. You know, it's really hard, and I know there are fan bases who sometimes feel like they, you know, are we getting the short shrift? Are we getting treated well? And I hear a lot of that on Twitter. And, you know, I, I try to treat every school. You know, we have 14 children, and we love them all equally. And I do try to represent the Big Ten with class. It, it was something that was really um, emphasized to me in, in this hiring process was, you know, you're going to be the face of this network and, and by extension, to a certain extent, the face of this league. And I take that really, really seriously. And so you do a great a job. You do a great that. job. Thank you. Well, Dave, well, thanks. I get, yeah, I just want to say how thrilled I am to talk to, to both of you guys. Um, again, Elliot, and meaning no disrespect, but, but to talk to Larry is <laughs> really amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, everyone is pulling for you, Cliz. You're, you're awesome in so many ways. You're great at what you do. You're a great representative of, of Purdue and of this league. And I'm just so excited to see you courtside this year. I'm, I'm thrilled beyond words. Well, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I mean, I really am scared. There's no question about it, but I'm looking forward to it. You will hit it out of the park. Thank you. Well, Dave, thanks so much for taking time. We appreciate you joining us here. All right. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Chris. Take care, guys. Yeah. All right. Dave Revson, on, uh, that was episode 50 here of the podcast. I want to thanks every, thank everybody for listening. As always, keep your feedback coming at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.